This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt. I'm the other Matt. And I'm Lena, your resident snickerer in the background. (laughs) (laughs) You do give some snickers. In today's episode, we're picking up where we left off in our discussion on biblical decision making. We're going to talk about the idea of how to make a good decision. Um... We've talked about bad decision-making models, but um, I want to show people how to do a a good one, a a God-honoring one. Uh, When we make a bad decision, the cost of that can be huge over the years. And so I would say to anyone who has not first heard the podcast on bad decision-making models, they need to listen to that because um, this won't make sense much. I mean, we'll, we'll give them a good basic understanding of how to make a decision, but um, if they don't understand how often we make bad ones, uh, they're going to mess up. So what I I guess I want to encourage everyone with is making a good decision is not that hard. Uh, We're the people that make it hard. Um, It's only hard when you're trying to use one of those bad models and you're trying to discern the mind of God and he's not going to ever reveal it to you. So you're left with guessing. Um, Good decisions are actually rather easy. The only thing that makes them hard is that they take courage. Yeah. So let's let's lay down some basic prerequisites to a, a good or wise decision. What's the first one? Yeah. Well, the first one, since since we're you know this is biblical decision making, <laughs> we would say the first one is that you need to be rightly related to Christ. Um, you know, Ephesians four, for instance, tells us not to conduct our lives like the unbelievers. Uh, why? Because we learned Christ in a different way. And so um, that's going to be seen then in our decisions and our choices. Yeah. In fact, Ephesians 4 is so good in that because it says, you know, is it God's will that we steal? No. No, that's what an unbeliever does. We're, right. we're to go and get a job so that we can give. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, our life should be very different and the way we make decisions should be very different than what the non-Christian world is doing. Um, uh, Absolutely. but it's all going to be with how are we relied, related, um, related to Christ. Okay? Yeah, that, that's where it begins. Um, along with that though, we're also going to have to acknowledge God's sovereignty in all things until we're comfortable with that. Again, we're going to be pushing against that and fighting against it because we don't like it. Yeah. We, we would also say we, we did a podcast on knowing God's wills. Yeah. So, because a lot of people are trying to discern God's will or tap in his mind or something, but we try to dispel there the different understandings of God's will. And so that would, might be a helpful one too. Sure. Um, so basically if you don't understand or to whatever degree you don't understand God's uh, sovereignty, you're going to end up mess, messing up when you're making decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the fancy words for that is God's providence. Um, it's a term Um, that's used to speak of this in our day-to-day lives. God is sovereignly present in and through all things we do and and what what we don't do. Uh, But he doesn't reveal to us what that looks like. We only discover it by looking backwards. So, you know, when we talk about God's providential leading, that's something that we consider after the fact. We look backwards and we realize, well, this was what God would have for us. Um, But there's no way we would have been able to know those things um, ahead of time. Yeah. So when we're, when we're talking about God's sovereignty, especially when it comes to decision makings, uh, one of the things that we'll say is a good warning is that, you know, you could fall into one of two extremes really. And that is either fatalism or folly. Um, Fatalism is the idea that um, you're sort of a puppet on a string or an unthinking machine. And so your life is just working out and God is controlling you and there's no autonomy in any sense. Well, yeah, but along with that, though, it, it really relegates God to being a machine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's just that there's this mechanistic 
aspect to the will of God that is just grinding it out, and we're just one cog in this massive yeah. machine. That he's not a personal God. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, but then on the complete opposite spectrum of that is the just you can fall into folly um, and think that God is perhaps too busy to care for you and your your little situation or big situation, whatever it might be. Uh, and so you just don't think he cares about you or that, you know, this is a bad time for him. Yeah. And, and most <laughs> people would never be that brutally blunt about it, but this is very common. Um, how often we really consider the mind of God, the will of God as we're going about our life. Um, you know, I'll ask that a lot of times in counseling situations, you know, um, why are you doing this? What's what's your motivation? And it's shocking how often people are doing their entire life without ever considering the person of God. And so they're they're in the folly side. They yeah. they really aren't thinking God cares, or even though they wouldn't say. Yeah, it. and it's a it's a false humility. It's actually very prideful because you think that God, you know, oh, he's not worried about little old me. He's got other big things to worry about, you know. But you're his creation, and he cares for you especially if you're in Christ and he loves you. And so to think that he's not thinking of you or worried about you or concerned with your situation or will help you sustain you, whatever is pure pride because you're not thinking of yourself rightly as you ought, which mm -hmm. is that you are a unique creation of God in Christ. Yeah. We'll say it a million times in our podcasts, but it, it all starts with a good theology. Always. Right. Yep. Um, the better we know that. So, Let's let's lay out for the listeners a basic grid on how to make a decision, right? right? So in my mind, I kind of wish we were doing this like a video. Um, in my mind, I'm picturing a piece of paper blank, and I'm going to create a really simple flow chart. And it's going to start from the top, and it's going to make a, a state the first step in making a good decision, and then arrow underneath that to the next step until it ends up with... It's time to make a decision. Mm -hmm. That work for you? Yeah. Okay. So, but this is always the flow. Yeah. Yeah. You never yeah. mix these or get them out of order. No. Yeah. No. And now, at first, this takes practice, um, and so it takes some time—not much time, in all honesty. But the more that you do it, it becomes second nature. Mm -hmm. So that, in a sense, you just kick through these steps, and you're ready to make a decision. Actually, with sometimes in seconds. Because some of the things are so self-evident. So yeah. what's the first step? Well, the first one is just, it's clearly just the idea of scriptural commands. It's what does the Bible say? Um, and so here you're, you're looking at the imperatives, fancy word, or the commands of the Bible. Um, and these are, these are non-negotiable. These aren't suggestions. These aren't just, you know, helpful ideas. These are actual commands that God has given that we are to walk in and walk in obedience to. Um, you know, and so this is, this really will be, revealing of what you believe about God and in his word. Um, you know, it's going to become evident in your life. A lot of people say they are controlled by the scriptures. They are a Bible person, but uh, the reality is their life often reveals they're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, a simple question. Am I being obedient to what God has clearly stated I am to do or not to do? It's not that hard. Um, mm -hmm. The Bible is filled with various things that we, we are not to do or to do, and how often we play loose on that. So the first step, if we're going to make any kind of a decision, is are we being obedient to the things that God has commanded? Yeah. You know, okay. Or are we violating something he's commanded? Right. Now, in that, though, it's important to understand what commands in the Bible are yours to obey. Um, meaning, what are the commands that all New Testament believers who are part of the church, what are they called to obey? And this one's just going to get into theology, which we don't have necessarily the time to, to develop. But um, for instance, you know, the question is, are we to obey the commands of Israel? You know, Mosaic law, do those apply to us? Do they not apply to us? And so how you answer that question ultimately and where you land on that theologically is going to be important. Um, and so, you know, the context of where you're getting these commands from out of the Bible is imperative. Yeah. Um, I would, I would make the argument, if somebody says, no, all the commands even given to Israel are ours to obey, I, I'd say to them, fine. I mean, I wouldn't agree with it, but I'd say, fine, now just go do with those. Make certain that you're doing them. Um, 
and and you're dis- so you can't m- wear a polyester shirt that's also mixed with in with cotton, right? You can, mm-hmm. just can't. You're not allowed to do it. But um, as I understand my theology and the scripture, I'm not under the Old Testament law, but I am under the law of Christ. I am under the law and the uh, of love. I am expected to obey the commands. I mean, Christ said that we're to go into all the world, mm-hmm. and part of the process of making disciples is teaching them to obey all that he commanded. So I know that I have to do those. And so yeah. for me, I would look at a, a believer, you would too, and just say, you know, let's look at the New Testament. Let's look at what God has commanded the church uh, to be and to do and not to do. And mm. these are the things that God has clearly stated. And what what you're saying there is helpful too, because you we keep using the word command. Um because a lot of times people will go, for instance, to narrative portions of the New Testament, even like yeah. the book of Acts, like in chapter one, when they're trying to figure out, okay, um, we're going to figure out how to replace the the dead disciple with the 12th apostle. <laughs> and so they, they throw and cast lots for, for Matthias. Um, and so people will then take that and say, well, they did it in the New Testament. Uh, this is therefore a good model for us to follow. When it's not a command, it's not prescriptive in that sense. So do you think that, Matthias was truly a, an apostle. Well, it gets, uh, I mean, cause there's also Barnabas and Paul. Yeah. You know, so, but there's only 12 thrones in revelation. Yeah. So yes or no. If you, if I hold a gun to your head, you have to make a decision right now. It was Matthias actually an apostle, or is it just simply describing how the early apostles chose a replacement for Judas, but it makes no statement on whether God approved of that. It sounds like a very leading question. To it me. is. <laughs> I have to go back. I actually wrote an entire paper on that. So you don't even know what you believe, but you have to go back or you already know, but you have to go back and read it to know. Yeah. Listen, I've, I've learned so much that I'm just going to forget more than I know. Yeah. That that's <laughs> your life as a pastor. Um, no, no I, I don't, I don't think he was. You don't know. I was? can't, I mean, I it's so neither either. here nor there. I just, I think Paul was the, was God's choice. And what did he do and with Barnabas? He was a little a apostle. Wow. So you didn't get, uh, see, see when, when theologians are backed into a corner, they draw a distinction. That's what they always do. Little A's, big A's. I don't Apostle, care. not an apostle. I'm, I'm right. You're wrong. Medium A's. <laughs> Anyhow, but, but your point is actually well taken is just because they cast lots, is that the way then we make a decision? No, that's just telling us what they did. It doesn't say, therefore, go and do likewise. Mm-hmm. Um, deal with the commands. It's so simple. Um, make certain that you're not violating something that God has forbidden. Yeah. Um, don't don't th- don't uh, disobey what God has commanded. So a husband who's wondering, you know, should I divorce my wife? I'm going to look at him and say, no. God's yeah. will is that you're going to love her. Mm-hmm. And you're going to love her like Christ loves his, his church, even when his church was disobedient, right? Yeah. I mean, it's very simple. We don't have to wonder about all of these other things. We know God's will because God has revealed that yeah. husbands are to love their wives, and, and he, he's there to lay their lives down, live with them in an understanding manner. So, so, so when, you're doing, when you're spending more time researching what truck you should buy versus loving your wife or caring for your children as you ought, that's probably not the best decision. <laughs> right. But, but this is a big decision. I'm buying a truck. You're being a you financial know? steward. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, and, but that's the problem though, is that people will spend massive amounts of time. Pray for me. I'm just really trying to make a wise decision with a car. And I'm like, I'm not going to pray for that. I'm going to be praying that you be a better wife or a better husband because you stink. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I know yeah. we're laughing, but it's no. true, well, isn't how it? You think like, how it gets justified is, and I know you're kind of joking, but... Of, uh, I'm joking. I'm serious at the you same know, time. Like, okay, it's good to be financially yeah. responsible. Yeah. That's good. But what then does that mean? Exactly. Yeah. So what's the motivation then for why you want to be financially right. responsible? Is it so you can be generous and teach generosity to your family and your children? Or is it because... You know, I want, a, I want a penny pinch so that then I can upgrade the TV. Exactly. You just, you want, you just want a little safe now. You don't have to worry about anything. Then you get all, you get all under control. So. Yeah. So first step, if they're Scripture. writing this at home, their first step is obey God's clear commands. What does the Bible say? Yeah. What's the Bible say? Yeah. So what's the next step? All right. So the next one is a step away from 
clear commands. Now we're dealing with true wisdom. Um, this is where we're not dealing with the commands of the scripture. We're learning to deal with the scripture in a, in a skillful manner. So this, this is a little bit harder. It's going to take work. Uh, if you're new to it, um, it's not easy at first, but it gets easier as you, like anything, you practice it. Um, but you have to know your Bible well at this point because you're not just saying, okay, I'm, I know I'm not allowed to lie, but here's the situation. Mm -hmm. And so I, I need to make a decision and I'm going to say, okay, let's look at what's a wise choice here. So um, what we can do is look at like Proverbs chapter 2. Um, in verses one through six, I won't read, well, I'll read some of it. Uh, Solomon writes, my son, and now what people should hear is the if and the then. Uh, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make if, and then it's implied, if your ear, or, or if you make your ear attentive to wisdom, and if you incline your heart to understanding, or if you cry for discernment, and if you lift your voice for understanding, he just keeps on saying all these ifs. And then all of a sudden in verse five, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Um, and then in verse seven, he talks about, and he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. So there's a, there's this reality of an if then relationship between us and God and his word. Um, all of these Things, if we will attend our heart to his word, we will tend and make ourselves attentive to what God is uh, stating in his word. Then there comes a point where we begin to discern the good and the bad, the, the good and the better, maybe. Um, and, and then what's really neat is a promise in verse seven and following uh, that, that this wisdom becomes something stored up for the ones who are upright, which the, the implication is if you're not upright, you don't have that. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, that's what happens when you run into those truly godly individuals who, and you're wondering, why is it they always seem to know? It's like, well, they're, yeah, there's just knowledge stirred up, stored mm -hmm. up. Um, th these are people who have not just treated the scripture lightly and casually and, and when they need it, but they have literally arranged their lives under the word of God, knowing the w will of God, doing the things that God has done and God in return is storing up within them this storehouse of wisdom, which is that ability to see and use the word of God uh, in a skillful way. So at that point um, it's a life that's daily lived under this conscious awareness of God. And those, that's why this is this next, next step takes work. Yeah. Right. But to that point though, or, you know, you read all those if statements, if, 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 if then, well, yeah. that sounds like work. <laughs> yep. And so I, um, you know, when we teach the Proverbs, we talk about how, you know, your quintessential fool is always described as the lazy one. Uh, and the reason for that is because they're not willing to do the work. And so the Proverbs self-defense against the fool or the lazy person is that they're hard to understand. Yeah. And so you have to do a lot of work to discern this stuff. But that's true for all of the Bible. Um, that, you you know, if you just have superficial understandings or you know you have your you know daily bible verse toilet paper and you just read it and you think you check the box now my life should go good it's not going to happen no and, and in fact there's a great proverb I, I used a lot as a father um that the way of a fool is a hedge of thorns but the way of the upright is a broad highway um mm -hmm. and i would talk to my children when they were just in folly and almost always it's because they weren't being diligent. They were being lazy. And I'm like, you know what? Your whole life is hard because you're in this hedge of thorns and it's grabbed a holy and it's scraping you. It's tearing your clothes. Everything's hard. And, and it's because you're being lazy with your thinking and in your life. But if you'll just look over to your right and if you'll repent and walk in a way of wisdom, which is an upright way, mm -hmm. God will make so many things that are so hard right now so much easier. But you're fighting it. And you're fighting it. And sometimes they believe me and sometimes they didn't. But ultimately they learned that lesson because the way of a fool is a very hard yeah, yeah. way. Um, so when we're talking though about this wisdom, it's not just knowing the Bible. You can, you can have incredible understanding of theology and still be a fool. Mm -hmm. 
because it, it yeah. it's what you just said that if then um if you're doing these things then this happens and so people can know all about the bible and still never practice right there's that, that skillful application of it yeah so that's your your second step and it's a huge one this is the one i would say most people stumble in is that they're so busy trying to figure a way to get the decision that they want mm -hmm. that they short circuit this yeah. or they ignore it. Um, yeah. I mean, if they're so brutal that they're going to ignore the first step, well, I'm going to lie to get this. Well, okay. Just, I don't feel sorry for you at all. <laughs> you know, you're willfully lying so that you can achieve something, but here it's more subtle. Yeah. And it's like, you know, your whole life is filled with so much folly and then you're wondering why things are hard. Well, it's because you don't even know how to live well. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the second step. Yeah, so scripture and then living well with wisdom, more broader principles even. The third step we would say is, is then at that point, now understanding your freedom in Christ. Yeah, so now it starts to get more fun. Yeah. Because we know we're obeying God's commands and in this pretend decision we're trying to make. And we're also beginning to think in a biblically wise manner. Mm -hmm. And so we're feeling fairly confident that we're not making some foolish, idiotic decision. So this is where people will then usually spin off and start doing a bad decision-making model. They're going to like, well, let's cast lots or let's put our fleece out or something like that. But in reality, all you got to do is understand that you have an incredible amount of freedom that Christ has given you. Mm -hmm. Um it, it, go ahead. Yeah, and we'll know in, Ma in Matthew 23, 37 through 40, he says this. Uh, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So the fullness, basically the entire Old Testament, God's revelation, uh, is contained or embodied in these two these two principles, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then loving your neighbor as yourself. And so at this point, you're now operating under the idea of, of that, that as you operate under the idea of loving God and then loving people, um, that should then be your decision-making grid at that point. And that, that su sounds suspiciously too easy, mm -hmm. but it's actually incredible. Um, as you start to think about why are you, why am I going to do this or not do this? simple question how am i manifesting a love of god how am i manifesting a love for my neighbor yeah um and if you don't know and not everything is going to be obvious i mean Clean should cut, i yeah. have cheerios i don't know how i'm loving my neighbor with that you know um but again there's a lot of things that we we will see that we're going to go into deeper debt we're going to not be able to be generous we're not going to be able to care for those who have needs well, that's not a, a heart of love, even though mm -hmm. um, we can talk ourselves into buying more and more and more things, if that makes sense. Yeah. But then there's some, some other passages that I like to take them to. So in, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says this. He says in verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So again, he's like, look, I have an incredible freedom in Christ, but that doesn't mean it's good for me, mm -hmm. right? Or, or we know ourselves pr usually pretty well. Um, something that maybe would never have mastery over you might have mastery over me. So um, I know of some people who alcohol, they just need to stay away from it. And it's not because they think it's a sin. It's they just don't seem to have self-control over it. So wisdom says, is it lawful to have alcohol? Yes. But does it have mastery over that person? Yes. Then you shouldn't be doing it. Simple decision. Mm. I have the freedom. It's just, I recognize it as mastery. Or I recognize that, if, uh, is there anything wrong with doing sports? Or putting my kids in sports or one of those types of things? No, there's nothing wrong with it. But is it profitable in the long run? If your kid is not really going to be doing anything with this sport, is it profitable? In what way are you profiting them? In what way are you profiting yourself and the household and, and everything else? Again, it's not that it's sin. It's just not profitable. 
And, and again, if you can ask yourself, how am I loving God or loving my neighbor? Or how is this profitable? Or how is this protecting me against mass, something having mastery over me? A lot of decisions just go away. Yeah. But again, it requires you to be honest, right? You, you, you can't be lying to yourself. Well, it goes back to the second point then about being wise. I mean, it just yeah. kind of all ties, right? To, I mean, yeah. obviously this is regression, but yeah, it's making but sense. Yeah, yeah, it, but it does tie together and it's Profitable not hard. Profitable is confusing though. Like I don't, I understand the mastery, but like how is it profitable to have a cigar? It's, it's enjoyable. <laughs> it, it's, it's not unprofitable either. Okay. So you can, there's a lot of things. I understand in, in like, right. doing all things to the glory of God, you know, right. thankfulness, gratitude, you know, just enjoying his creation. Right. Well, in what way you can, at that point, then you can start running with it in crazy ways of, you know, should we ever buy new clothes? Should we ever this? Should we ever, right. yeah, sure. you know, and you say, well, how's it profitable? It's, it's the idea that I'm always asking myself, is this creating a hindrance okay, uh, gotcha. to my spiritual growth or somebody else's spiritual? That's the context actually that right. Paul would be talking about, right. right? Is am I helping my brother or sister in Christ? Am I growing in Christ? And yeah. again, yeah. Uh, sports is such a simple one for me. Um, you know, if, if you're going to be signing up for something that's going to be robbing time, let's, let's say as a father, you join up with some t- uh, traveling team, um, for softball and, and you're already working your tail end off and mm. now you're never at home yeah. and your kids now see even less. That's not a wise decision. Right. 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 I mean, you say, well, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing right about it. In what way are you profiting? Uh, you being profitable to the, the spiritual development of your wife and your children. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, and the well, uh, same thing, if your wife really stumbles over, a cigar will we'll do something that simple. Why would you do it? Yeah. I mean, you know, why don't you relax yeah. on that until some point she's, she's like, you know what? I don't really care. Right. Yeah. All right. Now I can enjoy it. But why would I, why would I harm my relationship with my wife? Cause I have the freedom to have a cigar. Yeah. So a lot of this is going to be dying to sell, but there's some other. Yeah. Ones. Similar to that, you know, Roman or first Corinthians 10, uh, he makes a similar statement, but a little bit different twist. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Um, and so this one focuses particular. So the f- previous focused on Paul himself, um, profitable for me. And then this one says, does not edify, you know, others. So it's outward or other focused. Um, and so the question you could ask then is, is this decision I'm about to make going to edify other people or, you know, sort of break them down? Um, or not be helpful or serve them. Um, another way that you could ask the question, though, is, is am I living or is this decision or what I'm doing something that's worthy of imitation? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. such a good one. Yeah. You know, yeah. how many times do we have, I know I've known this has happened in my household when my children are little, that there would be a manner of speech that I'd have. And then, and I justify, well, there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. And then it comes out of my mouth of my child and you're like, whoa. <laughs> and and that's when you're like, okay, that has to stop. That has to stop with me first yeah. uh, because it's not worthy of imitation. Um, and that's actually something I ask of everyone who wants to go into pastoral ministry or, or be a leader uh, in some sense of like an elder. I, I ask them, um, would you like a church filled with people just like you? Mm. And when they like, no. Good I'm for like, small group leaders too. It is. It's, it's good for anybody in leadership. Oh, crap. I was going to say, I wouldn't want a church full of me. Well, but that, that's, that's the reality that. is that there, once you actually start asking yourself that, Mark, you, you yeah. start to realize, you know what? There's just some things. If I, I know you were joking, but there's just some oh, things that fun. every one of us at some point are, are going to have to face that we right. have to just put to death. Yeah. It's just like, you know what? We can't be that. Um, uh, we yeah. have to we have to lay that aside, and and that's because it's not edifying. Mm-hmm. So, do you have the freedom? If a person's saying, "Yeah, well, I've got the freedom," I'm like, "Yeah, you do," but mm-hmm. is it being profitable? Is it uh, controlling you, or is it building people up? Yeah. And and if you can tell me how it is, or how it's not, then fine. Yeah. And then that would lead then to our our fourth fourth point. Um, now it's super easy. Yeah. And. At this point, it's simply, what is your desire? What do you want? What do you want to do? 
And this is where, again, mm-hmm. people just stumble because they can't <laughs> believe it's that simple. Yeah. You know, well, I, most people begin with it too. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And then they're trying to figure out how to back into it. Yeah. Right. But right. I mean, I have sat with people who have had just, they got this job and that job. They got um, this relationship and that relationship, this house, that house, whatever it might be. And they're like, I just don't know what God would have. And I'm like, okay, you're not violating in command. You're, yeah. It's, it's obvious that you need more room. Let's just say it's a house. It's obvious you need more room. Um, and, or let's say the law, let's say you're trying to adopt and the laws require that there be a certain square footage if you're going to be able to do that and you don't have it. So you're going to have to get to a bigger house, but do I buy this one or that one, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Ultimately, it's going to come down to which house do you like? Well, I like that one. Mm-hmm. Then go buy it. And they can't believe it would be that simple because you're not in violation of anything here. Just you're free to go buy what you would like to buy. But by the time you've gotten to this point, if you follow those steps, you also don't have to worry about, am I in sin? Because that's just it is there's this hyper analyzing of motivation, you know, like, well, if I buy this house, I feel like I want it too much. Or I feel the, like the maybe I just stuff. want a little big, bigger room, but there's no like godly or biblical motivation. You know, I'm not really going to be that much more hospitable. I don't need to be. And so you're just hyper analyzing these. Yeah. These, when really you have a ton of freedom. Right. Because you're not under any law. But right. you have to make this the last point. Yes. If you stick it anywhere yeah. else in that yeah. continuum, you're going to mess everything up. But it's not hard. What's God commanded? Um, what what does wisdom say? Um, what does your freedom in Christ say? And then what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. That's simple. Yeah. So give, uh, give some practical thoughts on this. All right. So these are things I always try to talk to people about, though, is when making decisions, you need to be in your mind. You have to be able to hold your desires and your rights very, very loosely. Um. When, whenever you grip, grab a hold of both of those too tight, um, it becomes an idol, right? I mean, you're going to now yeah. sin because you're not getting it or you're going to sin to get it. it. It just have to be able to hold on to those things in a, in a loose manner and not make them all about what it is that you're trying to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that was Paul's point in the first Corinthians six passage. Um, when he said, you know, all things are lawful, but not profitable. It's the idea of being defrauded in court. And he's like, okay, fine. You know what? You're right. It's a justice issue. You do have a right to whatever happened, but for the sake of Christ, will you be defrauded? And oh man, that's so hard for a yeah, Christian. I've, I've actually used that passage. Well, God loves justice. I know. In fact, we're going to get into that when we talk about social justice yeah, too. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'll. But it's like, are we? I mean, the the Christian is in America is so about their rights and. And holding on to those things loosely for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the law of love, man, it, it radically changes how you approach things that you just don't care anymore yeah. because they're not that important. Um, what's another one? Yeah, we, well, we would say also don't fall into the trap of reading too deeply into things. Um, the reality is, you know, you don't know the mind of God, and so he's not going to reveal to you those those secrets, those secret um you know, realities that only he knows they belong to him and him alone. And so if you're trying to look for what God's mind is or discern deity, um, you're, you're going to fail or you're going to end up listening to some spirit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) False spirit. Um, yeah. Well, and we got into that in detail in the podcast on bad decision-making model, but you know, people saying, yeah, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. And then so-and-so showed up and man, that was just such a God thing. I knew what God wanted. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you don't. Yeah. You, you don't know anything. All you know is so-and-so showed up. Um, so yeah, don't, don't now start hyperthinking everything or getting super spiritual. Um, it's, it's not the way the Bible would teach you to do it. Right. Um, what else? Well, we would also say, um, well, we talked about this with Proverbs, but the wise way is often the hard way uh, and the costly way. You know, um, sometimes the right decision is just there. It'll be broad. It'll be easy. Um, you know, but it is hard. And then what we'll, what we'll be tempted to do is put God to the test on things. Um, we'll want to put him to the test to see if, if this is the right decision or if this is what I should do or shouldn't do. 
when we don't have that freedom and right. No. Um, and we see it show up in a lot of different ways, but um, if, if you can just become comfortable that sometimes the decision is very easy, it's very obvious. In fact, I, I've told a lot of young men in my counseling or discipling them um, that making the, knowing what is right to do is seldom hard. Most people, most Christians I know, know what's right to do. What really is hard is doing it mm-hmm. because they know it's going to be costly. And it's that simple. You know, sometimes making the right decisions can be hard. Sometimes it's really easy. Um, but, but don't, don't try to test God and say, well, is it this way or is it that way? And what are you doing here? Uh, that's not our freedom to do. Another thing you would um, do is, or not do, is create a false dichotomy between what people call secular and, and spiritual, because there is no secular and spiritual biblically, right? right? It's all God. It, yeah, yeah. It's all spiritual. Everything we do is worship, which is, again, one of my pet peeves in the church is that we don't even understand what worship is. And so um, music and singing is worship. And now we're going to hear the word of God preached. That's somehow not worship. It's like it's all worship, but it's also worship when you then go home and you change your child's diaper, and you wake up in the morning, and you drive to work, and you mm-hmm. put in a faithful work. All of that is a spiritual act of service. Um, so don't try to say, well, this is a spiritual decision. That's a secular one or worldly or something like that. It's all one thing. It's just my life under the gaze of God. Get that in our head, and we'll do a lot better. Yeah. Another one we'd say is when you make a decision, um, you know, hold on to that decision lightly and be prepared to change it as you see more insight or as conditions change. Um, you know, don't get stuck in the thought that once a decision is made that then you can't change your mind. This, um, this is huge. Well, I've heard a lot, of, you know, a lot of people will say to me and it, on a simple one, like church decisions, like where should I go to church? And they understand that maybe it's not the best church or there's a better church, um, but they won't make that move because they'll say, well, I just feel like God has me here. And it's like they're in sin or something if they leave. But the reality is, is there's clear biblical principles for what a healthy, mature church is. Maybe you should leave in, <laughs> in light of now new knowledge of what's what Christ has called his church to be. Yeah, I know of parents who have made bad decisions that are affecting negatively the marriage or the children. Um, but it seemed right at the time. But somehow they think that they're going back on their word or they're not being faithful um, if they change their mind now that they've learned better. Again, same, the same idea. It's like, you know, yeah. you've grown in wisdom now and you're looking and you, you realize, you know what, I need to back out of this. I need to, maybe I'm going to have to eat some, eat it, you know, a little bit. I'm going to have to pay some penalties or something like that. Right. But the wise thing here is to get out from underneath this or back out of that decision. I did it all the time as a parent. Um, uh, I very seldom would say absolutely yes. I would say Lord willing, and I would then approach it, and the and the kids all understood. My wife understood that it's a it's a yes until it becomes a no, mm-hmm. or it's a no until it becomes a yes. Because I just would learn things. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, hold on to it loosely, and don't think that once you've made it that now you're committed for yeah the rest of your life. To or it. Or when, let's say, in the realm Except of in marriage, yeah. <laughs> um, let's say in the realm of desire. So that this is now a decision that you want. You have a strong desire. You work through this model, um, and so now you want to you want to do something. But it doesn't seem like it's working out for you. You keep trying to do this, and and, and so you can be tempted to think God has closed doors or you know whatever. You actually have a good story of this uh, when you were trying to be a cop. Yeah, can you give the sure sh- the short version? Yeah, it started in Houston. Uh, when Kim and I first got married, I wanted to be a cop and I tried, uh, two or three times. And each time you have to wait, wait six months if you don't make it in. And I, I couldn't pass the lie detector. I'm, I have too hyper of a conscience. And so like one time the lie detector showed me as a drug dealer and they're like, the the, the cops actually said, we're kind of wondering if we should just arrest you. I'm like, oh man, I couldn't pass for nothing. Cause you know, I hyper think everything. Um, and so I tried two or three times with Houston. Then I went to California and I tried again 
to be a police officer. And I tried with uh, two departments and each time it looked like I was going to get in and then it fell short. And so everyone was telling me, obviously God has closed the door. Obviously God Mm -hmm. has telling you no. But my response back to them was, yeah, but my desire has not yet changed. There's nothing wrong with my desire and I still desire to do it. And so, yeah, it might be that God is saying no, but it also could be saying not here. Yeah, you don't know. No. And so it was actually shortly after one of those conversations that a LAPD buddy of mine told me about a a department, uh, the third largest in in that area. He's like, hey, I heard they're hiring. I contacted them, and three months later, I'm standing in attention in a police academy. And, I mean, it, it everything came together so quick and easy. And it was really encouraging that I, I was able to persevere in something I desired, and ultimately I could see it come to fruition. But it wasn't how I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a Houston police officer, um, mm-hmm. but that's that's not what God had. Yeah. It, I just think that's a, a helpful illustration of this model, because oftentimes people will just make a decision, you know, via the circumstance. And so they'll just let the circumstance define it, or they'll just go into complete paralysis and passivity. And then really just life has a way of making the decision for you. Um, you know, and then a lot of times I think, you know, some, some Christians at least, especially in our, in the current climate of evangelicalism is it doesn't feel spiritual to just do what you want. Like I, I really need to know what God wants for me. And, you know, I, I really need him close. And so you're searching for something, but, it's just not biblical and with that police issue i had some people tell me that you know are do you know what the perfect will of god is which is again one of those bad models um and fortunately by that time i had learned enough to know i'm i'm not playing that game i'm not going to try to find some hidden secret will of god um others tried to insist i was in sin this is obvious in idol and i'm like you know what i'm not sinning I'm not sinning to get it. I'm not sinning not to get it. Uh, My wife supports me in it. I have a desire to do it. There's nothing wrong with me continuing to pursue it. If if the Lord wants it to stop, he'll stop. But I'm going to keep moving forward as long as he gives me opportunity. So, yeah, all kinds of different people were trying to speak in, and oftentimes not with much help. Yeah. Kind of frustrating. Yep. One more thing, though, that I would say is when you're making decisions— a lot of your decisions are piddly in reality, right? Yeah. Um, but there are certain decisions that are massive, and and you need to be very, very careful and wise before you step into them. Um, the biggest one most likely will be marriage, because when you marry, you are making a lifelong covenant with that individual. Um, and children, uh, having children, when to stop having children, huge decision. Um Career moves are massive ones. Education decisions. Um, you know, I, like I, I taught my kids, you know, pursue as much education as is offered you. Um, you if, if God is ordained that you be a ditch digger, um, then be a ditch digger to God's glory. But don't limit yourself to your options in life because you chose to play around with school and not finish high school or something like that. Um, because immediately you set into motion consequences to your decision. So try to discern as an individual, what are the big ones? And they're always going to be related to marriage, children, and careers. Yeah. Just be wise. Yep. So I guess it just as a closing thought on this, we would say, you know, like all things, when something's new, it can be hard. So this decision-making model is not, e- I mean, <laughs> it's not just a surefire right out of the gate. I mean, no. It takes practice, um, but with practice and maturity, you know you become wiser. I I always think about Romans twelve, when Paul says there, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." So this is a mind thing. Um, the, in other words, the more that you understand God and His Word and His laws and principles, um, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, you just start thinking biblically. Um, so when, when things come your way, your gut reaction is just going to be a biblical one versus, okay, I got to sit here and search the scriptures. I got to go and find out, you know, what the Proverbs say. I should consult 15 people, get all kinds of counsel. Then you're just, 
you know, wrapped up in a knot, but you're just going to naturally know your disposition, the natural overflow will be something biblical. Who was it? Was it a Spurgeon who said, if you poke me, I'll bleed? No, that was John Bunyan. Oh, if, you, if you cut bleed. him, he would bleed, bleed yeah. Yeah. Uh, the it's Bible. just what comes out of him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we didn't, we didn't mention it, but built into all of this is godly counsel, right? Um, you, you know, there yeah, is yeah. a place, but godly counsel is not the person who's going to tell you what you want to hear. It's also not some prophet that's going to know the secret mind of God. Exactly. It's somebody who knows the word of God well, so that if you're new to this and you're like, I'm still learning how to put the word of God into a day-to-day practice, that's where the counselor comes in. That's where, yeah. and this is where, again, you come into a, having a good church with godly pastors is you can trust that guy sit down with them and say, here's what we're trying to do. And he can begin to inquire and ask, and have you thought about this? And have you considered that? Um, but all of that is so that you can be trained and developed so that you can be better at this process. And then in turn, what happens is if you're a good father or a good mother, you then become equipped so you can teach your children. Mm. Because a lot of people didn't have that. I didn't. I didn't have that growing up. Nobody taught me how to make these decisions. So we had a, my wife and I had to figure this stuff out. Yeah. Um, but, but we were able to teach our kids and we're going to Lord willing be able to have influence in their grandchildren's life and help them. Um, that that's a huge thing is so that you then become a person who's handing this wise way of living off. If that makes sense. Yeah. And then the beauty in all of this is God is just incredibly gracious. Yeah. So so you make a sin, let's say you make a sinful decision and you thought it was a good one. Um, you know, you, you, you grow from that, you repent, you learn the right way and then go forward. And even if it wasn't a sinful decision, but it, you made a decision in good faith and it just went real, real bad for you. Got it. You know, he's still kind and yeah. he's teaching you things in and through that and growing you up and uh, you'll be better for it. Yeah. In fact, sadly, some of, some of my best wisdom comes because of my folly and having to feel the discipline of the Lord on my, my life, my home, you know, and, and, and now I'm able to look at somebody else and say, that's just not wise. And let me tell you why. Mm-hmm. But then of course it's humiliating because you have to talk to them about how big a fool you were, but yet yeah, you're right. If all of this, you bring the gospel with you so that if you sin, we have an advocate in heaven, um, our Lord and savior. So, um, we don't we we don't become frozen and we don't beat ourselves up and and just spin off into nothing. We just pick ourselves back up. We repent. We reorient ourselves back to what does the word say and just keep pressing on, and we'll become better at it. it seems to me that when I flail in my decision making, it doesn't really have to do with like, oh, am I am I sinning? Am I in sin? It's always I don't want to fail. You know, it's the fear the failure of the decision and that's just pride so that's what's really paralyzing i don't know if that's how other people are but that's definitely how i am so yeah i mean you said already it's pride (laughs) you know and and there's you, you just have choices to make um everything has risk and so anytime a person thinks, well, I don't know what to do because I don't want to fail. They're, they're already in the state of failure right then because right. at some point they have to make a decision. So instead of worrying about whether I'm going to fail, let's just get busy trying to come to as much of a wise point in our decision-making process that I'm now free to do what I'd like to do. But even for like you, you're in a marriage, and so you also have a wonderful fallback that you can look to your husband, because ultimately it's going to be his responsibility and it's his failure. Um, oh yeah. Okay. So yeah. don't screw up, Mark. <laughs> yeah. So Mark, it's all on you. <laughs> Another thing that came to mind when we were talking about um, scripture and um, just growing in biblical wisdom and applying that um, somewhat of a difficulty with, even with like the reading plans where you're reading five chapters out of Exodus in a day and you're so tempted to just blow through it. But are there any, I know we'll probably do a podcast on this, but are there any like simple, like three step, like what you want to get out of each reading that you know, you're tracking along with it because you have to understand in order to grow, 
and wisdom. So, well, not every passage is going to be like that. So that's first of all, you know, what I always tell people when they're reading the Bible is try to discern how is God revealing himself in it. Right. And because the better, you know, God, and the better, you know, how God functions and what God does and doesn't do everything else then falls into place. So, you know, in Genesis, it talks about Hagar being kicked out and she's off in the desert and, and she's crying out. And then it says in this one simple verse, it says, and God heard Mm -hmm. her, you know, and, and another place where God saw Mm -hmm. um, Ishmael's need. So we can read all about the the person, Ishmael or Hagar, and we can try to derive stuff, right? Right. But what's important is that in their time of need, God heard them and saw them. And so I take that and I remember that so that when I'm discouraged and I'm fearful or I'm afraid because some bad things are coming, um, I I know God hears me. So... In our Bible reading, especially if you're doing like that once through the year, um, you're not going to always walk away with something deep, but it's going to be reaffirming to you over and over again that God is um, God is this mm-hmm. or he's not that. So like right now we're reading in Exodus and we're starting to see how the tabernacles be constructed. And the thing that you take away from that is how detailed it was and that God yeah. is a God of order. Mm-hmm. not disorder and he and he used to be approached in a certain way and not another way so um i'm not gonna i i need to make certain that i treat my lord with reverence so does that help me make certain decisions maybe maybe not but um in the long run the sum total of that will start to affect how you make a decision if that makes sense for sure you add anything to that or was i just a voice of wisdom you just exuded wisdom i would not really i mean much beyond that when i read the bible i ask three questions i say (laughs) (laughs) so you see you already just one up me then i three up to you two up to you two up uh no first question is is what is this revealing about god second question is what is this saying about me and then third question what then am i to do in light of what it's saying both about God and me. And what's interesting is the bulk, especially in the Old Testament, the bulk of the Bible is it says nothing about you right. or what you're supposed to do in light of them. Yeah. And so it's constantly just putting the person of God before you. And so if, if there is something you're supposed to respond to, it's just, do I believe this to be who God is? Mm-hmm.